If you say no to something, you're saying yes. But I think more interestingly, saying yes is saying no. Yeah. If I say yes to this, can you go do this with me? Yes. Then you're saying no to something else. You're listening to Experience This, a show about the emerging experience economy with your host, Tom Young. Hi, hey, welcome to the show. This is Tom Young. I'm sitting here with Karen in the studio. Hey, Tom. Hey, so we're going to today do a follow-up to uh, our minimalism podcast that we did. Mm-hmm. We got a lot of good feedback from our network. Yeah. Um, a lot of good, interesting follow-up conversations. And you reached out to a few people. Right. Uh, and we have two guests that are going to be on this, and we're going to clip it, clip them in because we interviewed both of them on Skype yep. for about an hour each. Um, uh, and so... So why don't you talk about the two people we did and how you found them? Sure. So um, we first had Patrick Roan mm-hmm. on. Um, we we met with him. So and he was in the Pat- documentary. Correct. So Patrick was there was a documentary on Netflix that's quite popular right. uh, called Minimalism. Right. And Patrick was featured in that documentary. Right. And so I think there was a, a couple of uh, really fascinating statements that he made in that doc, and you know we wanted to explore those further for this show. Um, and then the second guest is Nick Wignall. So mm-hmm. Nick's done a lot of, uh, written a lot of articles, done a public speaking around the concept of digital minimalism. So it was cool because we're, we're talk- we've been talking about reduction of stuff, right. but it's also about decluttering our digital lives as well. So we st- our team started the, uh, I don't know how people are doing on it, but <laughs> it's on the calendar we're supposed to be doing it. I started throwing away stuff. Mm-hmm. I think you had the most to throw away. It, it's so, <laughs> I have so much stuff, you don't even notice that I've been doing it. Uh, but I have started doing it, and uh, I, I would say I'm less committed to the, the, uh, the raw mechanics of the 30-day challenge as, as much as I am just thinking about what can I get rid of. Yeah. And, and also stop accumulating stuff don't buy any more stuff so i'm trying not to buy anything yeah i think the big takeaway is um from any of these challenges are if you can get into a habit of actually purging and reducing things every once in a while rather than just letting them sit there and collect dust and then wait till the next big challenge comes right so anyway so we want to talk about our follow-up to that how are you doing on your minimalism you you already don't have a lot of stuff um, I don't have a lot of stuff, but I do notice I still, again, I live in a, a small apartment, but even in apartment living, there's still an opportunity to get rid of stuff. But the digital decluttering has been better for me. I actually love getting rid of apps that I haven't used in ages. So uh, in our la- in our episode, we talked about this before. <laughs> yes. um, the, I don't know what the count was because I think it drops right. off here, but I got my my email unread down to 136,209. I think it was 138,000. But I think the software drops off stuff at the after 90 days, so it's probably that. Oh, geez. How about your screen time? Yeah. I'm not, I'm... I'm not gonna do well on this one. I'm gonna check it. Because the uh, I, this March Madness thing, I've been using the app for watching the games, so I think I'm screwed on this. Um. Yeah, so mine's up to about three hours and 18 minutes a day. What's the trend, though? That's the key thing. It's up 15% from last week. All right, so you're going to... March Madness. All right, so are you using your phone for that? Uh, mm. Yeah. All right, so (laughs) I I know you think that... So 
I'm down 10%. What? Well, that's great. But it was egregiously off the charts. Um, <laughs> Uh, 743 across all devices. I have it all integrated. Seven hours? Seven hours and 43 minutes a day. <clears throat> well, it's down 10%. Holy smokes. <laughs> but the March Madness and the sports gambling, uh, I got into oh, that. Oh, yeah, I forgot. And unfortunately, I'm actually doing well. Um, so I deleted some of the apps that were, so like a lot of this was, you know, sports book and stuff like that. But anyway, that's a little bit off off topic. <laughs> I am working on that. I'm going to take knock that down as soon as the March Madness is over. That's going to drop down <laughs> tremendously. And then after our interviews with Patrick and uh, Nick, I feel a little bit more compelled to to knock this down even more. Yeah. And I have such a huge number. It's not going to be hard for me to go do that. I, I think the, the large number is working in your favor. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, so I want to go to our first clip. And this is from Nick. Now, Nick is a psychologist. Yeah. And... He we he brought in some of his thinking and experience from being a psychologist and dealing with people who have uh, uh, problems they would like to talk through with a psychologist and relating it to this topic. Mm -hmm. And one of the things he said that I think that was pretty interesting in this first clip is he said something that people struggle with answering the question, what do you want? So let's go to that first clip and then we'll talk about that. Okay. So a really subtle but fundamental theme that runs through a lot of the the lives and the, the personalities I think of the people I work with is they have a surprisingly hard time answering the question what do you want and, and sometimes they'll give you a, a well you know I, I want to be less anxious or I want to be better at my job or I want you know they'll give you kind of these surface level answers but when you really push well no what would that look like what would you do if you were less anxious like yeah, it'd feel nicer if you weren't so anxious, but what would that allow you to do with your life that you're not able to do now? And it, it's like deer in the headlights, blank stare. Like no one's ever asked them that question and they've never actually considered it really on, on, in a thoughtful kind of deep way themselves. And that, I think that's one of the really like pernicious side effects of maximalism and constant stimulation is that we we never have the bandwidth to consider those really important questions. All right, that was an that was an insightful clip, and the thing that struck me is we had talked before about the notion that materialism at its core, the the I use the term pathology, the pathology that materialism has is people are trying to fill a hole, and they're doing trying to do it with stuff. Yeah, it's a very emotional, a very deeply rooted emotional hole. But it, what he's saying is they can't even answer the question. So they don't have an answer to the question, so they just throw things at it, and it doesn't solve the problem. I th also think part of it is probably because there's a lack of awareness around how badly we're on autopilot. Yeah. So there's no space for those questions, as he was talking about as well. Yeah, I think people are probably not even getting to the point of asking the question to answer it. But once they get it asked, they can't. They can't seem to even answer it. At least that's his experience. I thought that was pretty pretty interesting. It's really interesting, too, since if you look at the self-help industry, it's um, I don't know what the numbers are, but it's completely on the rise. So, so I think people subconsciously know that they want more, but then when challenged and asked to look deep within, it's almost like, whoa. Yeah. Well, you know, we had this, we had this premise that... Uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which is a multi-layer pyramid mm -hmm. 
Uh, it starts with base physiological needs. I need food, shelter, safety, uh, then socialization, self-actualization, and all the way up to the very top of the pyramid. When people get their base things need, like food, shelter, rather than focus on moving up the pyramid into self-actualization and self-fulfillment, they start to they spend too much time building out their base with more stuff. Yeah. And the and the hole that exists exists at the top of the pyramid, not at the base of the pyramid. I guess if you're if you're poor and you can't you know have a place to sleep and you know what I mean food. Right. Deal with that. Yeah. We're not talking about that. Mm-hmm. But most of the people we deal with are not that. They have all that taken care of, and they're focused on more of that versus moving up the pyramid. So, um, we talked about with Patrick. You know, his he wrote a book called, and the reason he got on that documentary, he wrote a book called uh, Enough. Enough. Yep. Which is uh, the more of a practical approach to minimalism. Right. So people think of in the extreme maximalism, which is a materialistic culture. I got more and more stuff. What's better than more stuff? Even more stuff. And minimalism, which is a lot of times the examples that are shown in minimalism are people in the extreme, people who live out of the trunk of their car in a small hut, right. uh, live out of their backpack. And, and what he talked about I thought was is interesting is it's important to understand the extremes so that you can determine what your balance is. And yeah. it's different for everybody. Yep. Mm-hmm. So let's go to this uh, next clip with Patrick from Minnesota. Yep. Uh, and he's going to talk a little bit about understanding why it's important to understand these extremes. The extremes are important if for no other reason than to find your balance point between them, to find what works for you between those two extremes, and hopefully to land uh, in a place with that that you are so self-aware about where your place is between those extremes that you can adjust accordingly as your life conditions change. Understanding getting balance is really the key because most people aren't going to live in the extremes. Yeah, I think it's really practical when you, you know, you look at, it's very difficult to just shed everything and go from, you know, go to one extreme or the other. So I, I, I think, I do think his approach is a lot, very realistic. Yeah. I, uh, I like to I like to explore the extremes because it exposes the the aspects that you have to deal with. You're never gonna I don't, I don't think anyone's gonna do some of the things that I've heard I read about where people live out of their backpack. In the in the documentary, they had a guy who had a suitcase and a backpack and he traveled the world. Yeah, but what's interesting, as Patrick talked about, is that for somebody that is enough. Yeah, right? very few people. <laughs> Seven, <laughs> seven people. <laughs> Most most people have too much stuff, and so the purpose of this enough is to get, um, uh, to draw down your draw down your 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 base. Mm-hmm. And the issue is how far do you draw it down? And uh, so is it pretty interesting? He 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 had we we talked to Patrick twice. Once on uh, on when we did the podcast uh, interview, and another one we did our our pre call with him, and he gave an interesting story. Um that it, we can use as a little bit of a metaphor, but he gave an interesting story about a chase lounge that mm-hmm. sits in his library that his wife wanted. Yeah, that's a, it's so a let's, great story. Let's, let's play that clip where he talks a little bit about that and because uh, I think that's an important thing and then we'll talk about that metaphor. Yeah. I got a text from my wife as I was uh, out and about running here and she said, oh my God, I just found the perfect chase lounge in this consignment store. 
It's the Chase Lounge of my dream. I've been wanting one of these all my life. You've heard me talk about it before, blah, blah, blah. Can you get the go back home, get the truck, and come and, and pick it up? My first take on these things is always, okay, well, where does this belong? In other words, when I go and pick this up and drag it back in the truck, <laughs> um, where am I going to take it out of the truck and put it? Um, because I can't picture it in my head where this is going to go. And she said, well, well we're going to put it in the library, and I know exactly where I want it. And it's like, okay, terrific. So I go, and I get the Chase Lounge, and I bring it back. And um, it's for my wife, this Chase Lounge was, um, in her mind, she saw days of having her feet up, lying back on this Chase with a book, reading her book, and having this peaceful, lovely experience on this chase lounge now i know my wife and my wife is uh well, at least three if not ten times busier than i am and uh she will never allow herself <laughs> the actual time necessarily right now to fulfill that dream um you know if i were to ask her okay you've got this chase in there that i think you've sat on maybe once possibly twice and actually done the thing you thought you were going to do um why do we have this chase lounge taking up room uh in our house can we get rid of it what i'm really saying to her is honey i know that this is a dream that you're never going to fulfill and can we get rid of this dream? That's really what I'm saying. So pretty cool story. Every, everybody has a chase lounge in their life. They do. And a lot of times when you see these TV shows on Lifetime or TLC right. where um, they visit the households of sometimes hoarders and sometimes that people are just trying to get their space organized and they have to part with objects, you see the emotional distress and it's because of the the dream or the emotional attachment that those things have. Yeah, and to it's me, very real. The, ch the chase lounge is a, for me is a great metaphor. It's a great metaphor for yeah. people who are are trying to fill this hole that we talked about at the top of the pyramid, a Maslow's hierarchy of needs, with an object. Yeah, and you know one of the things that. It'd be helpful to understand is if you have a chase lounge in your life, you're, you're holding on to something, is to really do some self examination is to say, really, what are you holding it for? Are you, if it's if it's a memory jogger, like I want to remember something from the past, mm -hmm. uh, so be it. If it is a dream you have, as he articulated that his wife had this, then to me it seems like almost you need to step back and figure out how to address that. And if you have a loved one in your life or a partner or somebody who's, who's around you and you see them having this chase lounge in their life, right? one of the best things you could probably do for them is to you see it, even though they can't, yeah, and help them deal with filling that hole that the chase lounge could never fill. Well, do you think it's also, so if you look at the beauty industry yeah, and all the products that are marketed to women and... Um, the taglines along with those products are, you know, imagine yourself walking down the street with hair blowing in the wind and et cetera. Those are chase lounges. They're essentially dreams that are going to continuously be unfulfilled. Yeah. In our conversation with Patrick, you mentioned the uh, 
you know, think about airline advertising. Yeah, They don't exactly. sell a seat on a plane. As, they don't sell transportation. They sell a dream of where you're going to go. Yeah. And uh, and they're playing into that. Um, I guess they're playing into that emptiness that people are trying to fill with materialism. Uh, and oftentimes it's really, you can't fill these holes with materialism. No. It's a social thing. Mm-hmm. It's an experiential thing. And that's the reason we have this podcast is to expose people to these ideas of, you know, social and experience or your attention right. is the way you fulfill your life as opposed to getting more stuff. So yeah. anyway, I thought that that clip was pretty interesting that you and I will use the chase lounge as a, <laughs> as a <laughs> metaphor for our communicating going <laughs> forward. So uh, let's go to, an, there's another clip we had from uh, pa, uh, Nick where uh, now he went, th- so the minimalism is largely focused on, Getting rid of physical things. Let's say that's analog. Right. It is. We, it, in contrast to digital. Yeah. And the minimalist, the two guys, they would say, if you have the choice of getting rid of something and digitizing it, go do that. Mm-hmm. But that can create, and often does create, digital clutter in our lives. Right. And we talked about the digital clutter at the beginning of this. How many emails we have? Screen time. How many apps? Yep. Uh, too many is the answer. I yeah. have too much. I have so much I don't know what to do with it. And so he so Nick went through this describe what he did. Yeah, so Nick started out doing a 30-day challenge. Mm-hmm. And after he kind of took the 30-day challenge and expanded it to 100 days. So he did 100 days of this digital detox where what he was trying to do was really test out certain questions and and ask himself how, you know, do I really need the news? Am I gonna miss watching my favorite sports team? And so I think for him it was about the the journey and the process and like what would he really notice that would happen differently if he was day 15, 30, 45 into this? Yeah, so so we asked him a question of, you know, what happened after you got past the initial shock of unplugging. Yeah. Uh, he unplugged, I'm gonna say 80%, because mm-hmm. he still used some things if he had to. But let's just say he did an 80% unplugging. And we asked him what happened after day 15. Let's go to that clip. Uh, it's, it sounds hokey, but more productive. That was by far the first thing I, I noticed. So I, before my day as a psychologist starts, I, I do a lot of writing. Um, so I get to work early and um, you know I, I try and write for a few hours. and what I found almost instantly was not instantly within a first, uh, the first couple of weeks though, my, it was like my muscle for focusing got incredibly stronger. Like it, it, normally I'd, I'd write for about 20 minutes and I kind of get distracted and check something for a few minutes. Then I get back to writing for a few minutes and you know, it's kind of this ping pongy back and forth and really inefficient if you think about it. Um, but what I found when I actually committed to, okay, I'm going to work, for an hour, like literally for an hour. And if I feel the instinct to check something, cause I'm either cause I'm bored or cause I'm confused about where to go next in an article, I'm just going to notice that. And then I'm, I'm not going to have anything around to check. So it's going to kind of force me to realize, Oh, you, you don't have to go with that urge. You can get back and refocus. And the end result is you're far more efficient and therefore productive. That, that concept of your muscle for you're focusing getting better, I think is is a real thing. And 
you and I have talked about this book by Nicholas Carr called The Shallows. Yeah. Where the way we consume content, the way we spend our attention, the way we get positive feedback from everything from playing Candy Crush to Instagram to text messaging versus long form content, getting deep into something, reading a book. I mean, it's dreadful for a lot of people now. People just, you know, are not reading as many books as they used to. They're consuming content in a different way. Well, what's so ironic is that I'm reading The Shallows and I'm struggling at times to read The Shallows. And it's really interesting. Um, And so sometimes I'm like, okay, maybe just focus on reading a page or two. But yeah, consuming that long form text. So this book, The Shallows, is written by a guy named Nicholas Carr. Yeah, it's really good. And he talks about how the, the... because we go shallow on everything and get this constant feedback that your brain actually rewires itself and lacks the capacity to go deep. Mm -hmm. And that has consequences. And I talked about this on one of our prior podcasts about the difference in reading. Like I use a Kindle device, but I have the Kindle app on the iPad. And the difference between those two experiences is very stark. And so if if I sit down out in the porch outside with a cup of coffee and the Kindle, I'm more likely to read uninterrupted for 30 minutes or an hour uh, before I get up and do something else. I'm more likely to get into it for that long period. If I have the iPad, right behind that app (laughs) is the whole world, and I can go check on anything, and, and there's a lot of distractions available, and I end up maybe only reading three or four pages before I'm off chasing a squirrel. Well, he even talks about in his book that if you, sometimes when you read it on those e-readers yeah. and you, I don't know, you need to look up a word, for example, you could end up very quickly down a rabbit hole because you look up the word, then all of a sudden you start to Wikipedia, something else associated. The Kindle device is actually designed not to let you do that. Mm-hmm. So if you just put your finger on the word, the, the definition will pop up. Mm. Um, but on the... The iPad, you, it's one swipe and you're in, into <laughs> a web browser, into Facebook, whatever whatever your distraction of choice is. Yeah. And you're off. And it could be a, a reasonable thing like, oh, I want to read about this. I want to, oh, that's a good point. Let me go see about this. and it remind, Or I want to take a note or something like that. So, um, but I thought it was very, the, the, I think it's a real thing. And he noticed it. Uh, I, I know that, for example, um, and he talked about it from his writing perspective. Yeah. So I know that uh, I was reading, you know, because we're working on a book, mm-hmm. and uh, for too long. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. I don't know when. I <laughs> I don't even want. Don't tell me how long ago it was, Karen. <laughs> it was a long time ago. I don't want to know. But we're struggling because of this issue to get through it. Attention. Yeah. Is that fair? I mean, it's hard. It's, yeah. Focus. It's very hard. Yeah. It's focus. So I, I, I remember reading about um, Woody Allen, mm-hmm. how he works and how he writes stuff. And you'd have to argue that he's been a very successful writer and producer, director of content. Yeah. And uh, he works from 10 to 2. He sleeps in. <laughs> he works from 10 to 2. Now, when he works from 10 to 2, he allows for no distractions. He is, he's in his own, he works from 10 to two, and then at two o'clock he stops and he takes a nap. And then he goes out and he hangs out and does whatever the hell he does, plays clarinet or- Gets inspired. Gets inspired. (laughs) 
But that's all he does is he works four hours uh, a day, and he's able to create that output. But now, it's almost better working for four hours at yeah. high output versus eight hours of... Stephen King, yeah, same thing. He doesn't use 10 to 2. He wakes up early in the morning, and he works for several hours in the morning, and that's it. Wow. And that's how he writes his books. Uh, so a lot of people have these methods where uh, you don't need to be focused for you know 40 hours a week. Yeah. You need to be focused for some portion of the week, and you'd be surprised at how much you can get done. And the rest of the time can be doing other things, administrative things or things that help you inform the productive time. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was pretty cool about this. what happened after day 15. The, the other interesting thing on that day, the when he got to day 15, is the whole notion that this is really like breaking an addiction. And, you know, as a psychologist, he was touching on that as well in our conversation. Um, there's a, a, when you think about like the, the curve of probably breaking any type of addiction, although this isn't not, not a harmful one, but the first couple of days, the urges that come up, right? And really, it, luckily, the urges here, you can kind of push through, but it's the same. It, it's scary that our devices have almost also now create the, created a behavior of true addiction. Yeah. I'm probably addicted to my phone. <laughs> uh, uh, so I want to work to break that. I, I unplugged um, cable TV. I still have it as a thing. I pay the bill every month, but I don't actually use it uh, except for sports occasionally. But I, I unplugged about 15 months ago, mm -hmm. and I don't miss it at all. Now, I've replaced it with other things. <clears throat> There's a lot of, uh, like, I don't, I, don't, I don't miss the news. I read the news online, but I find the news to be an echo chamber, people tune into what they want to hear, and they say, yeah, yeah, I'm right, and or it's highly divisive, and I just don't like it. Yeah, and it's a pretty crappy way to start your day if you're just intaking negative content in the morning. It's, it's negative energy. I would yeah. just prefer not to deal with it. Mm -hmm. And it's easy to get caught up in it because it's, it's just, but I, so I, I unplug it. So I, uh, I wanted to go to our next clip with, with uh, Patrick because I, he said something in, in our interview that I, I wanted to highlight again, which is this notion of saying no to things is saying is implicitly saying yes to something else. Yeah. And I think the and vice versa is true. So mm -hmm. let's go to this next clip where he talks about that. As I've as I've uh, said, one of my mantras is you know saying no is saying yes to other things, right? That by saying no to to uh, you know the T-shirt. You know, I'm saying yes to having more space in my bag going home. I'm saying yes to uh, the thing I see that I might actually like and enjoy and want and would be useful or whatever that now I can I can put into the bag and bring home with me or the thing that's the souvenir that's really going to make me remember uh, that time I spent at uh, the Macworld conference or whatever. All right. So saying again. Interesting point, you, and you don't think about it. If you say no to something, you're saying yes. But I think more interestingly, saying yes is saying no. Yeah. If I say yes to this, can you go do this with me? Yes. Then you're saying no to something else. So I, I, I would say in order to detox or declutter analog or digital, right. you probably need to start introducing more no's into your life so that you can say yes to the possibilities of 
of having less stuff. Yeah, and, and know with the question to yourself of, um, you know, what real value yeah. is this going to bring? As as Patrick and Nick both talked about, like really just asking your internal self those honest questions. Yeah. So again, let's go back to, you know, we're doing this follow-up to the minimalism. We found this the documentary that did very um, entertaining, yeah, very informative, really mm -hmm. a lot of interest in our user group, uh, people who listen to our podcast and our friends who we've talked about this. Right. And so we, we have gone from the analog decluttering from that to the, we talk about digital decluttering. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, it's for a purpose. Yeah. And this last clip we had with Nick, we talked about the notion of moving from analog decluttering to digital decluttering to decluttering your mind. So let's yes. go to this last clip. There's physical minimalism, you know, getting rid of physical analog stuff. But then you can take it a level deeper to digital minimalism, like really being conscientious about how our less obvious but still impactful digital stuff impacts us. But I, I actually think you can go a level deeper. And I, I wrote an article about this a few months ago, but I think of mental minimalism, which is that a, a lot of the reasons why the, our physical and digital stuff is so ultimately so distracting and so harmful is because it, it hijacks our attention and our, what we tend to think about and focus on. And so I think ultimately that's the thing that undergirds both physical and digital Maximalism or minimalism is can you learn to control and manage your attention, what you choose to focus on? Okay, so he so he talks about the ultimate goal then. I once I declutter my stuff and my digital, my mind is clear. And he didn't use the word Zen, but I, I'm using it. I'll mm -hmm. say Zen. And I will I'll say that as a proxy for really being present. Yeah, being present in the moment, not not time traveling, not living in the past, not living in the future, but living in the present and enjoying what's around you. Yeah, if you look at um, a, a lot of uh, you know even some of these meditation apps, yeah, they're all kind of centered around this message of of allowing people to sit and calm and declutter their minds, but actually taking steps to remove some of the digital declutter is allowing you to take ownership and action. So I think that in combination with um, if people have a meditation practice are two really great ways to go about ultimately achieving um, decluttering of, of your mind. So we're encouraging people to take the minimalism challenge. We're doing it in our various shapes and forms. Yeah. Just get rid of some stuff you don't need. Exactly. Also take it one step further and let's get rid of some of our digital stuff. Um, which could have some of the same impacts in terms of our attention. And the real goal here is for us to free our mind up, uh, to have a, 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 at least a, an hour a day, a few ideally a few hours a day where you're present and you're not, um, you're not allowing others to manage your attention and your time. Yeah. Taking and, the power and just back. Do it, just do it for a week and, or two weeks and see what happens. Mm -hmm. You're not gonna miss it. Um, the, things are still going to go on without you and you're going to find out what you've been missing. Yeah. And I'm going to do, I'm going to try to do the best I can to do it. I know you will as well. Same, yep. And then we'll, we'll continue our conversations along related themes here yeah. on the show. Cool. All right, great. Thanks. See you. Right, see you. Hey, thanks for listening to the show. 
Karen, I think you were supposed to say that. Yeah, thanks. I'll take it from here. All right. Well, we got to do the. This is the new Outcast. Oh, the out- outro. The outro. The, I think Outcast is a new word. All okay. right. Outro. We're doing a new outro. We got to cover a few things. All right. One is what? Subscription. Do you subscribe to We want people to subscribe to this, not just listen to it occasionally. Okay. Yeah. Check the us out. The second thing is nothing's better than what? A, a five star rating. Always five stars. Got to give us the five stars because we get better search outcomes. Mm-hmm. And the last thing is comments. We need those. Yeah, we, we need your feedback. We want to know what people are thinking. So you can check us out. The best way to do it, if you're not sure, some people don't know how to do it. Go to our website. You can check it out. We'll have a full set of instructions. Uh, so whatever app you're using. Most people use, what do you use? Uh, I use Spotify. You do? Yeah. So we have Spotify. We have iTunes, uh, YouTube. There's a whole bunch. Of, whatever you use. We have it, and if, and if we don't have it, let us know, and we'll try to figure out how to get it. We can send you a paper-based instruction. <laughs> actually, actually, we do have paper-based instructions, even though that's a fun inside joke to our team. So anyway, yep. thanks for listening, and check us out uh, in our next shows. Thanks. See ya.